from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Leanne Edwards. Leanne started out as a professional musician before switching to teaching. She's traveled all over the world and shares her experiences with us in this interview. I started the interview by asking Leanne where she grew up. And what was it like growing up there? Okay, I grew up in, well, Alfadina, Pasadena, California. So I grew up with my mom and my grandma, because my, my parents divorced when we were really young, and my brother, who's about a year and a half older than I am. So starting in the third grade, my mom took me out of the public school and put me in a private school, which happened to be a fundamentalist Christian school. So... I was exposed to that through the eighth grade. I, uh, you know, went to Christian church, Episcopal church. My mom was Episcopal. By, like, the age of 14, I don't know, I was sitting in church, and I was thinking, wow, this all just seems so empty, you know? Mm. I had memorized all of those, the various things, and it just wasn't working for me. And so I, um, that's when I kind of left Christianity. I've always been curious about other religions, and I never really understood why each one said they were the right one and the other ones were wrong, when they all seemed to be kind of more or less the same. The, the relationship between a, the Episcopal denomination and fundamentalist Christianity, those usually don't go together. My mom put me in that school because they did have you know high academic standards and everything. She herself was a school teacher in the public schools, and just felt like it just wasn't adequate, you know. So really, she put me in there for the academics, but, you know, we went to chapel, and we had Bible studies was part of our curriculum. I don't know. Somehow that both kind of went together. I mean, the school was a Christian school. It was non-denominational. So you had kids from various Christian backgrounds. What was your mother's religious leanings? I remember asking her, like, why did you choose <laughs> Episcopalian? I remember also asking about, what is this Methodist, Baptist, what is all that? You know, all those little different kind of offshoots. I never really got a really good answer from her. It was always, I don't know, she never really kind of answered the question. You know, but she kind of gravitated, why she gravitated to that particular denomination. So uh, basically at 14 you abandoned Christianity? At that time, it just seemed so so empty. I don't know if I considered myself atheist at that point, but I guess I was agnostic. And then I started kind of looking at different religions, but every one seemed to have that ritualistic aspect to it. There would always be something that I would butt up against, and it's like, oh, no, I can't go into that. From Hinduism to Buddhism to whatever it was, I felt like when I was, involved in the rituals, that I was somehow 
it didn't see, I felt like I was pretending like I believed it. I didn't really, I, I'd look around at everybody else and they seemed to be so involved in it. And also, I didn't like the aspect of whatever ritual is like, well, it's the right way and the wrong way. Well, don't hold it in your left hand, hold it in your right hand. You know, <laughs> I was kind of, oh, I always felt, I, I just always felt like, I don't want to be in a state where I feel like I'm doing it wrong. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's rules and I'm doing it wrong. So then I just was really, I did at that point, you know, by the time I was like in my 20s and 30s, I'm 50 now, I just turned 50 this past July. So by the time I was in my 20s and 30s, I thought, okay, I can't find a religion that's compatible, you know, that, that works for me. So then I thought, okay, I'm an atheist. So I was an atheist, but yet I was still on the spiritual search. And I remember reading books about Buddhism for atheists, you know, like this type of thing. So I was going down this path. It was like, well, I'm spiritual. I want to learn how to meditate. I do yoga, but I'm atheist. But the reason why I was atheist is because I thought I had to choose one of the gods that the religions were talking about. So if I wasn't on board with the religion, then I had no god. What turned it around for me is that I went into a 12-step program. And the 12 steps, they talk about how you can choose your own God. So God as I understand him or her or it. And that kind of opened the door for me. And I sort of started thinking, oh, I can choose a God of my understanding. So I don't have to pick one out from a religion. And that kind of opened the door. Then I thought, well, you know, I guess I always have kind of more or less believed in God. I just thought it had to be in a particular religion. So then I thought, okay, okay, I can believe in God and not be affiliated with religion. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So then that's where I was with the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. I chose a God that I thought of as like a loving mother. And also then I could finally get away from, I thought God was, I had to choose this punishing, do it right or else God that was the fundamental Christian God that I had learned about as a child. Oh, I can choose a God that just is just love, just love. And then I was able, then I wasn't atheist anymore, and I believed in God again. And I think I always had, but there was that misunderstanding with the religion. But before you go any further, Leanne, yeah. so at 14, did you stay in the Christian school after you felt this way about Christianity, or did you leave? By that time, actually, I stayed in the Christian school through the eighth grade. So at 14, when I was in ninth grade, I was in public school, but I was still going to Episcopal Church. That's kind of when, because I was in the church, what I liked about the church, the Episcopal Church, was that I was singing in the choir, and I I liked singing. But I never felt, the other thing was that I didn't feel comfortable in that church, because the Christian churches are divided by race. So you've got your white, your white churches and your black churches. And we were going to a white church as African Americans, and I just didn't feel accepted. So that was another aspect of it that made it seem so empty to me. You know, the empty rituals, and then the people that weren't friendly. So I just, I just didn't make a connection. Did you share these feelings with your mother at that time? 
oh, that's a good question. I don't think I did. I don't know. I don't know how open I was about it. I remember asking about, you know, the different religions when I was little and stuff. By the time I was in high school, I mean, I must have said something because I stopped going to church. But I don't really remember a conversation. So what did you do after high school? Well, I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went away to, to uh, Yale University. And then I went from there. I did a junior year abroad in France. I was studying music. Uh, I played the flute. I ended up staying in France for a total of four years. So I did my junior year abroad, and then I stayed because I was studying. And then I actually worked in, uh, in an orchestra in Lyon for two years. And uh, then I came back and finished my degree. And then after that, I stayed one more year and did my master's. From there, I was working as a musician. So I got a job. My first job was in Miami, Florida, in a training orchestra called New World Symphony. And then from there, I got a job in a Hartford Symphony. And in that orchestra, I stayed there about two or three years. And then we went on strike. I was actually fearful that the orchestra was going to fold altogether, and and actually a friend of mine from Yale was working as a guitarist, actually, in Germany, invited me to audition for the um, ensemble he was playing in. So I did. I went over and um, did that audition, and I got the job. So I moved over to Germany. I lived in Germany for three years, met my husband over there, and then we moved together to Spain, and I played in the... In La Coruña, I played in the uh, Sinfonica de La Galicia for two years. And then we moved back to the States in 97. Is your husband German? My husband is German. We're divorced now. We've been divorced now for seven years. And he was atheist. You know, he from the start on atheist. So I was like, this is great. So am I. So <laughs> <laughs> you discovered otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, but he was like, he had studied a lot of philosophy. He loved classical music and everything. And, and I mean, that was almost a spiritual thing, I guess. He talked a lot about philosophy and music. So, in a way, I guess that was, without really knowing it, that was kind of our spiritual life. It was the fine arts and literature, literature, fine arts, and philosophy. Kind of a substitute. <laughs> So after you came back to the States, what did you do? So then I, um, you know, I had been, we'd been living in Spain, and so I spoke Spanish, and uh, my mom had been a school teacher, and I wanted to get a steady job, so I ended up becoming a, a bilingual elementary school teacher in L.A. Unified School District, because they were, look at that time, they desperately needed teachers that spoke both Spanish and English, because at that time, this was back in the late 90s, they had a bilingual curriculum. The kids were instructed in both Spanish and English and then transitioned into the English. So I pretty much just walked in and got a job. I was able to teach, start teaching right away while I was in what they called an intern program to get my full credential through the district for free. So it was kind of an offer I couldn't I couldn't pass up. And what did you teach? I taught elementary. So I at third grade, second did I teach I actually didn't teach second grade, but I taught third grade, first grade, kindergarten, 
fourth grade. And what happened to your music? Well, you know, the music kind of from that point on was just pretty much, you know, I just play for fun now. And at that time, I did use it with the kids. I kind of plunked away a little bit on the piano, too. So when we'd have our, the winter holidays, so we didn't call it Christmas, call it winter holiday, you know, the different functions and, and things during the year, I would play the piano and the kids would sing. And then in the classroom, especially when I had the little kids, the first and, and the kindergarten, they would learn songs learn the vowels and the consonants and, you know, different things, the letters of the alphabet, you know, different things and singing their name. And so we would, I would do that with the flute. Mm. And I teach them about the flute. At that time in the early days, we did cross-curricular units. So we would combine, say, you know, for example, math, English, science, and music through like a, a, thema- a theme like weather or community or, you know, whatever it might be. So that was nice. But as a, as the years wore on, they made us teach more and more geared towards them passing the test. And they passed in California, I don't know, after I've been teaching two or three years, they passed uh, an ordinance, English only. So then no more Spanish, you know, and they shifted the curriculum. And we were teaching more rote. You know, we were to follow the book. Each grade level, we were all supposed to be on the same page, the same day, get through it. Whether or not the kids had really learned it, just keep going, keep going, keep going, and then teach them to the, to the standardized test. It got to be less and less fun, and then there was less time for the, for the music and the things that, that I enjoyed sharing with the kids. Was it a hard choice for you to go from music to teaching? You know, it wasn't because I was ready for a change. I had been performing for 11 years, and that very last year, you know, it was a small town, La Coruña, a small town. It rains a lot. It's right on the coast. It's beautiful. But, you know, the winters were rough where there's a lot of rain. I just didn't see myself living there for the rest of my life or however long, and so... I was ready to move on. I was ready for change. And I was, I guess I was ready to come back to the States. And at the time when I got the, the job, I was glad to have a job with benefits and health insurance and everything. You know, as my husband was getting his papers processed and everything, it was, it was a good way to go. I didn't really miss it, I guess, because I just felt like I was ready for a change. Right. Yeah. So what happened as uh, the teaching experience got less enjoyable? Like a lot of things happened. In 2001, my mom passed away, and in 2004, I got a divorce, and and then I was I was really kind of ty- getting tired of the teaching. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I just And I was doing a spiritual searching, and I was meditating and kind of exploring Buddhism at that time, I guess, and, and I guess Hinduism through the yoga. I was kind of searching, and I was thinking that somehow the teaching, I was kind of just more or less living for the vacations. Like I was, I felt myself on Monday kind of counting down to the weekend and then counting down to the next holiday and then counting down to the next vacation. And I thought, you know what, you shouldn't be living your life like this. <laughs> you know? That's when I, I decided that I, I just kind of wanted to get away and, and try something different. And so I moved to Costa Rica and I taught... English in a bilingual high school. I did that for about, 
well, I guess a year and a half, not quite two years. Now, how did you make that connection with Costa Rica? Well, I wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country. I wanted to improve my Spanish. You know, maybe move into a different career, but as a springboard, I thought, well, you can teach pretty much anywhere. And then I was looking into different Spanish-speaking countries, and then I have a friend who's from Costa Rica, and I ended up going to Costa Rica on vacation and liking it. So that's how I chose Costa Rica. So tell me about your experience in Costa Rica. Well, it was mixed. You know, I, I liked it at first. Just I was on the Atlantic side, so it was more rural. They had less amenities than on the, the Pacific side, which was really pretty, pretty Americanized, actually. But I wasn't on that Americanized side of the island. So after a while, I kind of got thinking, oh, kind of missing my amenities. <laughs> <laughs> and very low paid, but my expenses were very low. It was still teaching, you know. It was like I was not really wanting to teach anymore. And, and I was meeting people who kept saying, oh, yeah, I used to work on a cruise ship because, you know, they're right on the coast there. And I thought, oh, what was that like? And I was asking them and online. I just started researching it. And I ended up getting a job as a, an interpreter for Spanish, English, and, and German, Spanish, French, and German on uh, Norwegian cruise lines. But it was funny because I just did the whole thing online I had a telephone interview or whatever. I don't think they even had Skype in those days. I'm not sure. I ended up doing that for about a year and a half. I had gone on a cruise, a couple of cruises, when I was young, like I, like around 14 or so, and I really enjoyed those cruises. And I thought, wow, that would be great to live on a, on a cruise ship and, and work on a cruise ship. And it was. It was a lot of fun. But it was also hard socially because for the crew, of course the passengers, but as far as the crew even, everyone's coming and going all the time. So the minute I'd have like a group of friends or whatever, then people's contracts would expire or I'd go off the ship or once I got, I was having fun on one ship and enjoying the, the people I was with and then they overnight practically transferred me to a different ship. So just different things like that. So it was it was hard. It was hard like that. Yeah. And so it ran its course. And then I came back here to Pasadena and I've been back now for four years. So, you know, when I was on the cruise ship, I got into a lot of addictive behaviors and I had been in AA just kind of as a I'll say as a spectator. <laughs> I wasn't really you know, what we say, working the program. You know, I didn't have a sponsor. I wasn't writing the steps and everything. But I was going to meetings, and I was kind of, I got that exposure, and and then and I stopped drinking, even while I was in Costa Rica. But I have other addictive behaviors, and one of the other ones was food. So I would, um, you know, when I was stressed out or, or lonely or whatever in Costa Rica, then I would, instead of drinking, I would just eat. You know, like all evening, I would just, just eat. And then when I got on the cruise ship, then I, I, it was kind of a combination. Then I was eating, but then also I started drinking again and partying and hanging out. It was all part of the scene on the ship. 
when I got back, that's when I really did start really working a 12-step program. I, originally, I, I went to OA, Overeaters Anonymous. That was my exposure, and that's when I started really working the 12 steps. And then that's what led me to the Baha'i faith, ultimately. Now, how did that happen? Yeah, actually, someone I met in the rooms of the 12 steps, she's a Baha'i, and I started going to firesides. Now, what are those? Oh, so firesides are, are where people, both Baha'is and non-Baha'is, can go to learn about the faith. But what I loved about it was no one was saying, so, yeah, let's get you to join up, you know. <laughs> Become a Baha'i, you know, and be a Baha'i. We're right, and everything, all the other religions are wrong, you know. No, nothing like that. Just very, first of all, the, the main thing, which is the very loving group of people, really just free of prejudice, people from everywhere, and everyone was just so welcoming and warm and loving. I thought, wow, they're really living their religion. And then I would hear about the tenets of the faith, unity and equality, the absence of ritual, and how all the religions are connected. Oh, I've always believed that. You know, so I felt this connection, this visceral connection that I believed, that what I was hearing was what I'd always believed, and it's what, to me, was completely compatible with really my only spiritual connection at that time, which was the 12 steps. I considered that to be my religion, and it was totally compatible with that. And then they talked about, I knew the religions were connected, but then that explanation of the progressive revelation, oh, each one built on the next one, Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, all the religions built on one another. And then I even understood why the other religions didn't connect with me. And that's because, you know, then they explained, oh, well, you know, all the previous religions were connected to the culture of that time. And each religion gives more insight. And then hearing about Baha'u'llah, and then really connecting to those writings and the clarification of the things that I didn't understand. And then I thought, wow, this is it. This is, this is what I believe. This is really what I've always believed. And Baha'u'llah being the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but not saying, oh, now, you know, so Jesus, Muhammad, and everybody else was wrong. It's just saying, oh, here's the next revelation. And then also saying, you know, each prophet is really ultimately from the same source. So they are really all, all one and the same. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's what I always believed. <laughs> now that I'm hearing it, you know. <laughs> then I did the book one, the Rui book one. So they have the books that, I guess, explain the faith in more detail, and they're based on a theme. And what I loved about the book one was, well, explain, explained a lot of things to me about the faith like about no backbiting, no gossiping, no saying things bad about, about people behind their back. And really, I had kind of grown up with that. That was like what my family did. 
we gossiped. That was our conversation. <laughs> we talked badly about other people to, so that then we felt better. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm better, I'm superior to these people because whatever, they're not as well-educated or they're, you know, they don't get to go on vacations like we do or, you know, just whatever it was. So also aspects about myself that once I heard about the Baha'i's belief, I thought, yeah, that's true. You know, that's the way it should be. And here's something I can aspire to. This is the way I can become a better person. And I was seeing examples, living examples in the Baha'is that I was meeting. Wow, look how kind they are. They don't talk about people behind their back. Wow, they are really accepting of people from different backgrounds and cultures. Wow, I had living examples. That really brought me to the faith. And then when I finished book one, I decided to declare. What does that mean? Which me- yeah, which means basically after personal investigation, so through reading the writings and talking to other Baha'is and going to Baha'i functions, I went to concerts out at the Los Angeles Baha'i Center and everything. And so declaring, and then I thought, you know, like, how do I do it? Is there something, of course, that I'm asking, that I did want some kind of little ceremony or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, Leanne, in the Baha'i faith, we don't have ceremonies. I'm like, oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but what do I do to become a Baha'i? And they said, well, you can just go online. I'm like, really? They're like, or you can fill out a card. I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to fill out a card. <laughs> so I wanted to do something concrete. And so at the fireside that I've been going to every Wednesday night, and the interesting thing about this fireside is it's been going on continuously for 50 years. So the, the, this fireside is the same age that I am. It started in 1961. <laughs> and so I went to that fireside that night, and it was the eve of Thanksgiving of last year, 2010. And I filled out my little card, and I declared. So they kind of announced it, and everybody clapped, you know. <laughs> right. So, Leanne, I have a question. What did declaring mean for you? Yeah, it meant a lot because I realized that finally I was choosing a religion. It wasn't the religion that that I just kind of inherited, and it wasn't religion that I kind of married into. I mean, I was an atheist, but then I married an atheist, and then we were atheists. It was like the religion that I actually chose. So it, it did. It meant a lot to me to become a member of something that I really believed in from beginning to end. It wasn't like, okay, well, I can accept this, but there's these things that I'm really uncomfortable with, but I'll just go with it anyway. No, I felt like everything about the Baha'i faith resonated with me just at a deep, visceral level. That's why it was important to me to actually declare and become a Baha'i. I guess just to say, this is who I am in the world. How long ago was that? That was November 20 of 2010. So how many months was that? Let's see, I guess. November. One year November. Yeah. yeah, so it's less than a year. I guess 10 months. You had expressed some ways that the Baha'i faith had affected the way you were living. You know, you were referring mm-hmm. to backbiting. Now that you've been a Baha'i for 10 months, 
has the Baha'i faith at all changed or impacted the next steps that you want to do in your life? Totally. Oh, my God. You know, I'm, I'm at such a stage of transition in my life. It all harkens back, I think, to declaring and becoming a Baha'i. I've been working as a personal trainer and nutrition consultant for the past four years since I came back from the cruise ship, but I've never really been making a good living at it, and I've been really just pretty much in a state of transition, and I've been turning over different ideas in my head, but I declared in November, and January I finally started the program at Cal State University of Los Angeles that I've been looking at and kind of mulling over for years, and that is to become a court interpreter for Spanish, for Spanish to English interpreting in the courts. And I was I was so fearful that, oh, I wouldn't be able to pass the, the entrance exam. I don't know. I just had so much fear. And then, then I've become a Baha'i, and then suddenly in January, I guess or late that December, I called and I found out that, you know, they were going to have a makeup exam. The exam had already been done that past March. But, oh, but we're doing a makeup exam. And, and so I did that. I passed, and I started the program in January. That was like a big shift, and it's just been going on from there, like these big, huge shifts in, in my life. And then lately, um, like I mentioned to you, I, I kind of fell off the radar because I was sick for, like really sick for five weeks where I could barely get out of bed. And uh, after being healthy, you know, and never sick, not even a cold, for like 12 years, and suddenly this, and I, I just took it as, and that's the thing that I've learned since becoming a Baha'i is that the Baha'is look upon tests and difficulties in a positive way. You know, what is God telling me? What is the positive that's going to come out of this? So I, I tried to look at it. I was lying there flat on my back thinking, okay, what is the positive that's coming out of this? And it was really, again, this push forward in my career, and I, I'm unable now to do the, the personal training physically. My health is just not up to it. And so I have another 12 months before I will have finished the program, and then I have to take certification exams, an oral and a written exam. Factoring all that in, by this time next year, I'll be fully certified and on my way to my new career. But in the interim, I've just been wondering, well, how am I going to make ends meet? And I have been going to temping agencies and trying to find a, like an office job using my bilingual skills and everything in the meantime. So now recently, you know, I feel like it's another shift. I feel like it, it, it may be time. I tried about two years ago to sell my house and to kind of da- downsize my life, and it just didn't seem to be the right time, and I took the house off the market, and I have tenants, and now I feel like, you know, I went to a Baha'i function, I was talking to some Baha'i friends just yesterday, and they're like, well, Ian, you know, if you consider selling your home, and I said, well, maybe this is the time. I guess the other thing that I feel like is new in my life is that, and it kind of came from the 12 steps, but now all the more, that when I'm making a big decision, that I pray over it. I look for guidance. So that's been a big change. 
I guess also as far as world events, you know, I can get really negative and discouraged about things going on in the world. I'm learning through the Baha'i faith to see that as just all part of the plan. You know, this is the part of the growing pains for the new world order. And I see that on a personal level, you know, like, okay, this is just all the, the tests and difficulties that I'm going through. It's just the plan. You know, this is just what, this is part of life and part of a transition to something better. And then the same thing on a world level. Okay, the wars, the upheavals, the, the revolutions, the, the financial crisis that, that's going on here in the States as well as in, in other countries, that's all a part of the, the transition to the New World Order that the Baha'is believe is bringing us closer to Baha'u'llah's vision for world unity and world peace. So I, I try to, <laughs> it's not an easy thing, but I try to see it from that perspective. So what was your mother's reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? My mother is deceased. Oh, yeah, you told me that before. And my dad, who I didn't know growing up, but we've reconnected since I turned 40. Then we kind of parted ways for a period of about three years, and now we have a relationship, I guess, put it that way, for what, uh, be it as it may. And my dad is an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> So I did tell him, though, when I, that I became a Baha'i. And I said, you know what I like about the Baha'i faith? And I told him, you know, I kind of focused on more the principles of unity, equality of the races, social justice. I felt that might be a connection for him because that is what he believes. As Baha'is, we're not here to convert people. You know, we're here to, well, first of all, be examples of the faith, and then also to say... Oh, here are some writings and some books about the faith, and take a look at this and, and see what you think. And, oh, here's someone who's been a Baha'i for a really long time. They're going to talk about the faith. You want to come to our devotional or our, our fireside and just hear about the faith. You know, yeah. I get the atheist thing, because yeah. I was atheist. You know, I get yeah. it totally. Yeah, one day we had a conversation where he was talking about why he can't be in a religion. He said, from an early age, as a young boy, he remembers not being able to believe something that didn't have proof, you know, like proof, something he concrete. So, so for him, it's the whole notion of believing something. Like the five senses. If you don't see it in the five senses, it, is, that, is yeah. that what he means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for him, it, that's, that's what pulls him back. So, Leanne, what do you think the future lies ahead for you? Well, I guess, um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, how could I overlook this one? I mean, I, <laughs> I would like to remarry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's another thing I've learned a lot about since becoming a Baha'i is the Baha'i notion of marriage. And it's been a total eye-opener for me. The Baha'is believe that marriage is, to people coming together to support each other's spiritual path. You know, that they believe in, in no sex before marriage, and I'd like to try that out in a relationship. And I was talking to someone in the faith who just married. She's been single for a while, and 
and she said that she and her husband, and he was from out of state, that they literally sat down and they went over all of these questions about their feelings and their beliefs about having children, which, of course, you know, wouldn't apply to me, but also about having children, but also about just the different aspects of married life. It's just such a sane approach to marriage. Interestingly enough, it just goes against the grain of a lot of modern beliefs about marriage. For investigation, I just found it to be compatible with my beliefs and, and how I think a way of entering a healthy relationship. And I'll also, I just have an example of so many friends that are in healthy, strong, long-term, high marriages. I'm just blown away by I'm just fascinated. Young Baha'is, older Baha'is, newly married Baha'is, long-term married marriages. I just find it amazing, the compatibility, how they bring the tenets of the faith into their marriage, you know, the respect. Wish I'd had the faith when I was married <laughs> the first time, but oh well. Well, Leanne, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for asking. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Leanne Edwards, a former professional musician, retired teacher, and now pursuing new opportunities. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.bahai.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. No doubt. No, 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 no doubt. Differentiated the many ways to raise it. Cause losing the weight and the making only hurts. Where you wanna take it? I've been giving something I should hold sacred. And if I don't take it, then this opportunity goes wasted. It's so basic. The meaning is made with a gesture. Invaded from the West and demonstrated with aggression. Feel the trace of the weapon. It reiterates a message. A little bit of effort for the outline of session. It's now time to let it begin. Head to the wind, the second I stand, see less of a plan, it don't matter though. In that direction lies the answer, so you have to go. And for protection's sake, you never take the path and hold. Let the method make you less, and then you'll be the last to know. Some of us have nothing, but a word will make us have it all. Pass it all, time to focus now, that's what we spoke about. Scoping out the whole zone now, no doubt. No doubt, time to mellow out, mellow out. Dark space, a wave it in, vacillating half a day, wasted asking a favor of validation. A plate of the base, nature, rate the arms in my low end, chrome plated and shown places they afraid to go in. 21st century fox rocking the lambs, water song channel, the palm planted on the handle, the panel host supposedly channeled the Holy Ghost. I'm down with you, stand close and get your crown rose. You heard, sir, prefer a touch of swerving the verb. I learned respect come first and the chat come third. Now what's the worth of a bush full of birds? Took the one, you don't snap. 
catch with every last one. Come when I clap, it ain't with the promise, son. It's unpunished for that. Seen it happen at the pinpoint, pushed in the map. Traveling the globe around, loaded so I know what it's about. Throw a spark and turn the corners to foul. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Time to mellow out. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I burn a few waiting on my turn in certitude, searching for a heaven ever since. Interring Gertrude with the pen, the words to the dirge, and dreamt of the image of innocence, intense. But forgive my indifference. It's something about I heard it before. You all the same, and I told her we never spoken, so you must be mistaken. I thought maybe she turned away for modesty's sake. Yet as she wept, I saw my name alone the nape of her neck. But pardon, I pleaded. Evidently, she and I were friends with tense straps between this apparition and the one end. Would have been little more than the bench had I. I mentioned I'ma let feelings start creeping in the act reciprocated when the weight stack built like a paperback get away the kid made tracks afraid to speak a name vaguely I recall the vegan faith let me hold out I'm moving slower now no doubt uh. Lost touch, but never lost hope. Found direction and respect for the presence. Crossroads, guilt gone. So will be the hill the house is built on. Matters not infinite. My sinner swimming in Cimarron. Agent, they disintegrate. All the weak of dust. Fall the touch. Wait until the wind pick up. It's possibly your progeny in the gust. Blowing about when he show, pulling photos out. No doubt. With friendliness and charity and love and then some fellowship I'd recognize Baha'u'llah and been to where they buried him I cried in a shrine where I prayed for my parents And I prayed for the world to break away from hate and arrogance Science is advanced but the soul is old carriages Lost in the music till I found a glimpse Of this spiritual map like a round of fists Now I hear the voice and I love the sound of it You see the promised one has come, we're all surrounded by his countenance Searching through this earth for a 
truth that was concealed I found it in the words that Baha'u'llah revealed I've walked on so many different paths and been to so many different places I've learned so many different lessons but seen so many similar faces But it all fades to blackness when I fail to get the practice That I need to be the spiritual being you've seen in me since back when I was walking all alone Talking like I built this home when it was the carpenter who made it all alone Praise God, I need to redefine my life, I'm living so raw Cause the flame of separation has consumed my heart I'll follow you, my Lord, I'm ready to do my part I'm ready to do your will, so here I am, my God For the flame of separation from He is God. O Lord, my God, my well-beloved, these are servants of thine that have heard thy voice, given ear to thy word and hearkened to thy call. They have believed in thee, witnessed thy wonders, acknowledged thy proof and testified to thine evidence. They have walked in thy ways, followed thy guidance, discovered thy mysteries and comprehended the secrets of thy book, the verses of thy scrolls, and the tidings of thy epistles and tablets. They have clung to the hem of thy garment and held fast unto the robe of thy light and grandeur. Their footsteps have been strengthened in thy covenant and their hearts made firm in thy testament. Lord, do thou kindle in their hearts the flame of thy divine attraction, and grant that the bird of love and understanding may sing within their hearts. Grant that they may be even as potent signs, resplendent standards, and perfect as thy word. Exalt by them thy cause, unfurl thy banners, and publish far and wide thy wonders. Make by them thy word triumphant, and strengthen the loins of thy loved ones. Unloose their tongues to laud thy name, and inspire them to do thy holy will and pleasure. Illumine their faces in thy kingdom of holiness, and perfect their joy by aiding them to arise for the triumph of thy cause. Lord, feeble are we. Strengthen us to diffuse the fragrances of thy holiness. Poor, enrich us from the treasures of thy divine unity. Naked, clothe us with the robe of thy bounty. Sinful, forgive our sins by thy grace 
thy favor and thy pardon. Thou art verily the aider, the helper, the gracious, the mighty, the powerful. The glory of glories rest upon them that are fast and firm. O God, refresh and gladden my spirit, purify my heart, illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. Thou art my guide and my refuge. I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will be a happy and joyful being Oh God I will no longer be full of anxiety nor will I let trouble harass me I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. Oh, God, thou art more friend to me than I am. I dedicate myself to Thee. Most excellent. 
Yeah. 
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.